Thanks for tuning in. This is TJ Murphy, and welcome to another episode of Adventurous Entrepreneurs. My guest today is Comedy Wood. Comedy is the guiding light behind Authentic Me and the CEO of Live Joy Your Way. As a certified life coach, Comedy is dedicated to assisting high achievers and mending their relationship with themselves. Drawing from her personal journey as a recovering perfectionist and mother to high-performing young adults, Comedy has a unique perspective on the pressures of never feeling good enough. With expertise ranging from identifying limiting beliefs to navigating toxic relationships, Comedy empowers individuals to live intentional lives, embrace self-leadership, and break the chains of self-doubt. In this episode, we dive deep into overcoming imposter syndrome, the nuances of realistic goal setting, and the balance between professional ambition and personal well-being. Just a few of the golden takeaways Comedy shares in this episode are dealing with toxic work environments and how to create helpful work environments unlocking human potential, and the importance of naming your feelings, needs, and values in order to set realistic goals. If you're ready to rediscover your authentic me and transform every facet of your life, this conversation with Comedy is one you won't want to miss. So without further ado, this is me and Comedy Wood. Welcome to the Adventurous Entrepreneurs Podcast. I'm your host, TJ Murphy. Since quitting my corporate nine to five and starting a business while backpacking through Asia back in early 2017, I've had the privilege of learning from some incredibly adventurous entrepreneurs. Through these conversations and my own journey, I've learned that much like in life, entrepreneurship is an adventure. On this podcast, I explore the journeys of top performing leaders in their fields. These wide ranging conversations include tactical business advice, how I built this insights, lessons in leadership, life hacks, travel stories, favorite hobbies, and insights into living a purposeful and joy-filled life. Adventures await us, so let's dive in. Hey, hey, Comedy. Welcome to Adventurous Entrepreneurs. Hey, TJ. Thanks for having me. Well, I am very excited. As I was doing research into everything that you do, what you're all about, I know we're going to have a great conversation. So I'd love to start with just a bit of background on the journey. And as I was doing that research for this conversation, I read a sentence on your website that I wanted to dig deeper into. So on your site, you said, as a recovering perfectionist and mother of two high-performing young adults, one a professional ballerina, the other a division one athlete, in addition to three other kiddos, Mm -hmm. I can relate to the overwhelming thoughts of never being good enough. So can you tell us a bit about your story, specifically your experience with not being good enough and what ultimately led you down the path to now coaching high performers, including your two young adult children, which congrats, by the way, it sounds like they're crushing it. So good job. <laughs> Thank you. Thank you. Um, and then all of the accolades really go to them and their, their hard work, but um, my, you know, where that all stems from truthfully for me is just uh, my, my origin story. So growing up um, I grew up in a small town in Connecticut. My parents were immigrants from India. They both came here when they were teenagers themselves. Uh, but the the not being good enough started at the age of like five or six when you first go to school. And for me, that's when I realized that I really was different from everybody else. And there was this need to fit in and the need to belong. But with a name like Comedy, you're going to stick out. Uh, also, as I said, it's predominantly white town. Um, and it's not to, to make this about race, but it's to just as a five or six year old, you see that you look different. And so... For me, part of that was trying to solve as a little kindergartner, how do you solve this problem? And the answer really became um, to 
first of all, make sure everybody's happy with you. Don't cause conflict. Don't create situations. If they want something, try to figure out a way to please them. And then the second part of that also was to not make mistakes, you know, because if you make a mistake, people pay attention to you. You bring, you bring more light onto you because now you've done something wrong. So that's where a little bit of the perfectionist came from. Also added in being the child of uh, immigrants. My parents worked really hard and like most parents work really hard. I'm not just saying only immigrants, but I just, I saw them really putting in that effort to provide for my sister and I. And the one thing that I didn't want to do is be a problem. I didn't want to create a burden for them. So I, I did, I just leaned into not making mistakes, trying to be as quote unquote perfect as possible. And that really did sort of carry with me throughout, you know, school and throughout adulthood. Um, and, and really, it, it wasn't until becoming a mom that I started to recognize what was happening because I was starting to watch my own children, people please, and the perfectionism. And you do look at these high achieving individuals. I mean, you don't go through ballet without yeah. having some perfectionist tendencies. Um, an athlete who's working towards trying to be recruited division one, again, you're going to be a perfectionist or a high performer. But it wasn't just those two. It was all of my kids, especially my middle daughter, where I was seeing a lot of the people pleasing coming up. And so I'm very honest with everybody who will ask me about my kids and and the fact that I believe that they're the best teachers that I've ever had. Uh, mm-hmm. But they were mirroring this back to me. And so I had to stop and pause. And I had to say, well, clearly this is coming from how I'm showing up. And not in a judgment way, in a judgy way, it was to say, if I can actually learn about where, where it's coming from, what is that about? I can change things for them. That's how I entered it. What really happened though, was that I changed things for myself where I changed it for them and also realized I was holding myself back. I had spent all of these years at the time I was running my husband's law practice. So 15 years into running his practice. So built that up from the ground up with him, but it was also his dream and it was something he was passionate about. And so through my process, I realized that what I was actually really excited to do is talk to people. And in every job I had, because I was a project manager before that at a dot-com, every job, I always found a way to be working with people and trying to figure out what it was that they needed to do their job better or to advance where they wanted to go. And so now you take this experience that I've had, and I was able to realize that really what I needed to do is mesh these two things together. And that's how I started onto my own journey of building this coaching practice that I have. Mm, thank you for sharing that story. I mean, <laughs> I, I'm, I know many people can relate to that feeling of not wanting to make mistakes, pleasing others. Obviously, it's mm-hmm. easy to form that perfectionist mentality. And what a gift to to be able to see that being mirrored in your children and, and course correct and, and do that work yourself. And now, to my knowledge, you're you're doing it for many people and, and doing it on a much wider scale. So I'd love to bring things forward to what you're focused on today. So tell us a little bit about where things are for you here. And gosh, now it's almost the end of September 2023. I know, right. <laughs> it's I just was talking to a client about that right before we started recording about the fact that we're already at the end of September. Um I, I am. I'm working with people one-on-one and I say that I'm, I'm a human potential coach. What does that even mean? What that really means is can we build a space between the two of us 
to allow for the deeper understanding of self, because with that deeper understanding, we're able to figure out what is holding us back, whether it be from a professional standpoint or a personal standpoint. So my whole practice is based on the premise that it's not about diagnosis or pathologizing. It's about just giving ourselves some space to, without judgment, create that deeper understanding. What are those stories? So for me, it was the story of you know, needing to please and then not feeling it, it was ever enough. Like it's not good enough. I have to do more. I have to do more. And then it almost leans into like an addictive, an mm-hmm. addictive tendency where you just keep doing it because you don't know anything different. Um, but that's really what my fo- my job and my career and my business is all focused on is working with people to help them create that understanding. And then once they're aware of what could be holding them back, they can move themselves forward. And it affects people, you know, from not just a mental and emotional standpoint, but from a physical standpoint too, because if Mm -hmm. we're not leading our, leading the life that feels purposeful, or we feel like we're in joy or fulfillment, we're really just on autopilot. And most of the time, a lot of people will start complaining about physical ailments as well. All of that comes back to what's happening internally. Yeah. When you're not feeling that sense of fulfillment, you're not leaning into your why and feeling that passion. It is so easy to just fall into habit loops that are unproductive and and honestly unhealthy that are going to lead lead you down a path of burnout and problems with your, your health medically, physically, emotionally. So it's important. And I'm curious, do you have like a, a transformative story or experience from one of your your clients or a you know, particular session that you can recall that, that particularly stands out that would give people a good sense of what you do and, and that transformation that you take people down, of course, without giving any personal Without giving out too way. much yeah. personal information. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Well, I've worked with such a variety of people. So I've worked with people from, you know, professional individuals such as doctors and lawyers and, you know, other professions in general to people who are stay at home individuals as well, who are working uh, from that home front. Um, I think what I, one of the major uh, moments in my coaching that has actually touched me and continues to touch me, it's happened twice now where I've been working with individuals and they've come for a very... I don't want to say surface level thing, but it was, you know, I really just need to, to learn how to, one was, I need to learn how to prioritize. And somebody else came to me and said, I'm just feel stuck within my career. And I just need to figure out like the next thing to move forward on. And in both instances, we did the work. And as we were going through the work, what we uncovered together and unpacked together was actually the fact that they both were dealing with, um, an alcohol addiction that they just hadn't been able to understand or to see, but really that addiction was the thing that was, it wasn't holding them back. The addiction wasn't holding them back. It was the misunderstanding of what they were getting to experience through the use of alcohol. So through the coaching, well, two things. And the reason why they stick out to me is because both individuals shared with me that they had never felt safe enough to even acknowledge that this could be a thing until we had our connection with each other. So that to me was very meaningful because it meant that I was, I was on purpose with creating an emotionally safe space for that, for those deeper things to be talked about. But beyond that, it wasn't just the alcohol. It was, what are you getting to experience when you are drinking? And under that understanding of the experience allowed for the transformation from not just cutting back on the alcohol, uh, both individuals actually stopped drinking completely, but it was more about recognizing that there was the anxiety that was actually the thing that needed to be addressed. And the fact Mm -hmm. that they were so disconnected from their own values and who they were, and we were able to do that work 
based off of that. So in both of those instances, different people, different walks of life, totally different stories, even different uh, age brackets. But that's what the coaching does because mm. it it creates such a safe space. And also we're not going in with any type of let's diagnose you with something. It's can we get to a deeper understanding of what's happening for you? And when that happens, all this transformation can occur. Yeah. And that's a powerful one, you know, just from my own personal experiences, alcohol can have many different limiting beliefs attached to it. And that overwhelming, or even when you don't realize it, that feeling of anxiety that whether it's the next day or it's in the moment, it can really hold you back even when you're not aware of it. And so I'm glad you called that one out. And many of our listeners are, are entrepreneurs or high achievers. They're looking to to break free from, from limiting beliefs, whether it's alcohol or something else. So I'm curious, are there any other common limiting beliefs that you see working with your clients again and again that that's holding them back that might just be like an aha moment for somebody listening. Yeah. It, a lot of times there's the, mine was the, I'm not good enough. Right. But there's also the, I don't deserve it, especially with entrepreneurs. They start to start to um, see some success and then the, I don't deserve this, or um, I'm just a fake or a fraud, right. That imposter syndrome starts to creep in. Mm-hmm. Um, the other ones are um, the, I don't belong. I don't want to be a burden. I'm bad. Um, there's something wrong with me. Um, I'm unlovable. That one comes up a lot as well, um, especially when dealing with people with relationships. And then how do we deal with them? We do things like utilize substances or some some way to avoid or distract, but not actually pay attention to those limiting beliefs. So again, once we bring those to the awareness, now we can start challenging and saying, well, okay, well, first of all, what's actually true about me based on my value system and based on Mm -hmm. who I am as a person? And then we can start taking committed action to working through it. And we realize we don't necessarily need to rely on that distraction or avoidance or suppression or, you know, covering, utilizing substances in order to avoid those things. We can actually work through it. We don't have to run away from it. Yeah. And I think it's so hard to, to realize these things just through self-reflection, you know, noting, noting what your limiting beliefs are, seeing what the crutches that you're using are given that belief it's hard to do that work on your own. So working with somebody like you and having conversations and and having someone that has a process to really guide you along and and uncover what what needs to be worked on is super important. But I'm curious if there there are some things that people can do on their own or at least as just kind of a an introduction to ultimately get on that path to do the work and and maybe find someone like you to help them. Yeah, I think, um, well, first of all, I do believe in journaling. So I do yeah. think that if if individuals are willing and open to it, starting to journal, and sometimes journaling just means writing, just actually just brain dumping. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, That's you know, it's it. not, a, it's not a lovely term, but brain dumping is what it is. It's just get those thoughts out of your head, because even when we allow space for that output channel, there can just be awareness that happens with that. Um, also though, I do believe that a lot of it comes back to understanding, you know, who you are on that deeper level. So taking time to figure out what are your core values as well as what are your core needs as an individual? Cause again, so often, especially people who are in the entrepreneurship realm, they tend to be high achievers. They're going and going. It's like, what's the next thing? What's the next thing? A lot of times we don't slow down to, to pay attention to what is it that I actually need? 
Mm-hmm. So taking that time to self-reflect, those two things will give you a little more insight into what's happening for you. And then the third part of that is paying attention to just what are you feeling? Just giving yeah. yourself permission to name what you're actually feeling. So often we, again, muscle through, I need to get through and get done, get this done to get to the next thing. Those emotions that we're feeling are so important because they're data packets. So if we can take the time to say, okay, this is what I'm feeling and then take it to that next level of asking, okay, so what's this telling me I need, or maybe what value is not being met that again, can offer that doorway to, to that self-reflection that can give you insight into, is this a limiting belief? Is this just a belief about uh, a limiting belief just in general about the world? Is this a limiting belief about myself? What might I need in order to shift where I'm feeling stuck, but without having that information or taking time to just self-reflect, it's Mm -hmm. really difficult. And you can do that on your own. You can absolutely slow down every day. I mean, I make sure that every morning, the one thing that I do do is an hour before everybody wakes up in the house, I have my own time where it's just me, myself and I. And that's so important because I can tell, I can reflect on what happened yesterday. I can reflect on just where I am today. I definitely include a meditation practice, but it's, it's really grounding for me. And it, that, that allows for the reconnection of self before the world, you know, the world comes Mm -hmm. at you, so to speak. (laughs) Totally. Yeah. And it is totally possible. You just have to carve out that intentional time, that intentional practice, whatever it might look like for you to be able to do the self-reflection that's needed. And I think that's a good segue because I was I was also reading in my research for this conversation, some of your, your conversations around work environments and more specifically like toxic work environments. Mm-hmm. And, and I'm curious because a lot of people listening are, are entrepreneurs. They want to create a, an environment where people do feel safe. They can mm-hmm. self-reflect, they can course correct, they can grow and learn. And it can be hard. So how can how can people that are either entrepreneurs or high performers identify and, and navigate toxic work environments, especially when they might be at the helm of that? <laughs> yes, they yeah. might be leading the environment. They might be the one leading it. Yeah. <laughs> I talk a lot about uh, empathetic leadership and that what that really means is uh, honing in on your own emotional intelligence and paying attention. It doesn't mean that you walk around with sympathy for the people that you're bringing onto your team, but you allow room to um, see where they might be coming from, right? Because oftentimes we're talking about toxic work environments. It's usually found in those hierarchical type ways of structure and um, individuals don't feel safe to have an opinion or they don't feel like they can voice um, what they need, for instance, like for, um, you know, in some toxic work environments, if somebody is on the verge of burnout and they've been, working overtime and not feeling like they have had any recognition for what they've been putting in, for instance, that can set up a very toxic environment for those people to be in because they don't even feel safe that they can have a conversation with their manager. So when we're thinking about how to create those those environments that are helpful and healthy, it is about allowing room for your team members to feel like they can come to you with thoughts, opinions, um, issues, or problems so that they know that they have a voice and that they, it doesn't mean that you agree with them and, or that they get their quote unquote, they get their way, but if they don't feel like they have a voice, it can absolutely start to create that toxic dynamic. Yeah, totally. And besides our, our work environments, all of us at at one time or another are going to have to deal with a relationship that is no longer serving us. I mean, that, that is our environment in a lot of cases. 
So have you found any effective strategies that, that people can implement to break free from a toxic relationship, whether that's personal or, or professional? Well, there are many different ways to break free. Some people just go cold turkey. Yeah. <laughs> they go no contact. And sometimes that's the best. And yeah. sometimes it is because if it is a really toxic dynamic, sometimes you do have to go no contact. Um, oftentimes, especially in personal relationships, it can be very difficult, especially if there are children involved or there's some type of enmeshment. And so with those types of relationships, a couple things. One, it's important to recognize that the relationship no longer working is not a failure. Oftentimes people who have struggle with leaving a toxic relationship is somehow they feel like they are a failure or they have failed because they couldn't make it work. Mm. And we have to allow room to recognize that relationships are great until, you know, there are points where we might have outgrown that person. This happens in friendships. It happens in workplace as well as uh, partnerships where we've outgrown where that person is or where we are, we no longer complement each other. And that's not, again, a reflection of any type of failure. It's just saying we've grown in different ways. Um, so with toxic relationships, it's being able to step outside of the attachment to, I should have done something different or I I could have fixed this. And instead it's coming back home to what, what do I need and what is gonna be the most healthy thing for me? And then finding ways to set boundaries and in toxic dynamics, it usually isn't super simple to leave. It's usually going to be messy. And it's coming to almost this radical acceptance that it's going to be messy, but it's you're doing it for the benefit actually of both of you. Because if it's toxic for you, it's toxic for the other person too. Yeah. They might just not realize it yet. And it sounds mm -hmm. like one of the first steps is really understanding like what you what you no longer need in that relationship. It's it's yeah. harder perhaps to say and figure out what exactly you do need, but you can feel the things that you don't need. They're they're going to have some pain or anxiety or emotional feeling and yeah, identifying absolutely. those, I think is crucial. Yeah. Well, and especially because in those relationships, you generally, I, I love what you just said, because you feel it, your body feels it. So you'll feel anxious or you'll feel like you're, you know, that anxiety then leads you to recognize that you're walking in eggshells. You're measuring everything you're saying mm -hmm. to this other person. Those are key indicators to say something's not in alignment here. And when yeah. you're able to recognize that, then you can start deciding how you want to move forward. Mm, I love it. So a bit of a segue here, because I would be missing an opportunity if we didn't talk about imposter syndrome, because- <laughs> I've read a lot and, and you definitely are an expert on it and it's rampant. I mean, it, it's talked about yeah. a lot for good reason because most business owners, most people in general are experiencing it or will experience it or have experienced it at some point. So what are some actionable steps that, that people can take to, well, A, identify like what, what is the cause of this, but then start to overcome feelings of self-doubt and, and imposter syndrome as we know it. Yeah. Um, usually it's our lovely inner critic, you know, the mm. inner critic that wants to say, uh, one, it wasn't good enough or, uh, my favorites that I've dealt with are, um, it's just a fluke. Yeah. <laughs> you just got lucky. <laughs> yeah. Um, or those who've actually, um, I've actually dealt with clients who've had promotions and then they are panicking because they think that somehow people are going to find out that they, they faked it. And I'm yeah. You didn't fake it. You got here for a reason. Yeah. You earned so, it. Yeah. <laughs> Very rarely it. I, is, is it just going to get handed <laughs> to you. So exactly. So when we're talking about imposter syndrome, it really does come down to starting to pay attention to the inner critic. What is that inner dialogue? 
And the best way to do this is actually to start saying some of that stuff out loud. And the reason why I say that is as crazy it may sound to some people is we have to witness it with our own ears. If we can start hearing what we're actually saying to ourselves, because a lot of times we just think it, so it just keeps cycling around in our minds, say it out loud, witness it with your own ears, and you'll actually start to hear how it doesn't really make sense. Like, no, you can actually start challenging it. No, no, I've actually put in the work. I've been working 12 hour days. Of course, I'm having this success right now. Or, you know, I'm, I've been learning and, and, and training and, you know, honing in on my craft. I am good at what I'm doing. I am good enough and I'm continuing to learn. So you can actually start challenging the voice. If we don't act, if we don't bring it out into the forefront, it's almost like shame, right? If it goes unwitnessed, if it goes unspoken, it just continues to grow and fester. So we do the same thing with imposter syndrome. We bring it out into the open and actually witness it and name it and speak it so that we can challenge it. Mm, I love that. And it actually reminds me of something that, my wife does and for this very reason is she will keep track of every win every accomplishment everything no matter how big or small i mean not the teeny tiny things but if it's if it's notable she puts it down in a journal and when she's having those moments where she's doubting herself or or facing some imposter syndrome just going through and saying wow look at all that i have done look at all that i, I have i love it yes <laughs> a success journal a success yep. journal yes absolutely because those are those moments where we are we'll get hooked to those thoughts and it's in those moments how can we how can we anchor ourselves you know so we come back to the present moment we open up that success journal we're reading evidence to the contrary and mm-hmm. suddenly we're regrounded into what's actually true. Yeah. You know, it might be that I just I had a blip. You know, maybe I didn't land that project that I wanted to land, but yet I have all of this evidence that I'm quite capable of doing it. And then we can actually use self-compassion at that point and say what did I learn from that situation? How can I what information can I take to move myself forward? So we can kind of piggyback a couple different things. <laughs> So I want to talk about goals for a minute here, and you're an advocate for realistic goal setting, but I'm sure many people can relate with me when I say that setting realistic goals can be extremely difficult at times. I <laughs> constantly underestimate how long things will take. I often fail to plan for all the things that are going to pop up along the way and slow me down or claw away my my drive to keep going. And I've definitely found myself in situations where I've had paralysis by analysis and simply Mm -hmm. didn't set the goals I needed to because I didn't know how to start. So I'm curious, Mm -hmm. how, how can people, how can business owners specifically set realistic yet ambitious goals for their companies? And do you have a process that you follow to set your own goals? So I actually dial people back before they even start setting their goals to Mm -hmm. um, naming their values, like for their business uh, and then naming their needs. Um, for again, for their business was in the context of business. And then from there, once they have their goals and their needs identified, I'm sorry, their um, values and their needs identified, they can then set their goals. And the reason why that's important is because then the goals are driven from something that's meaningful on two different fronts, meaningful from a value standpoint and meaningful from a need standpoint. So now we have, in the goals that we've just set for ourselves, we are actually intrinsically connected to them. It's an inside out job versus just arbitrarily coming up with these goals, right? So now there's a reason, there's a purpose, there's a why behind the goals that we're setting for our business. 
then from that point, we start taking those goals and breaking them down into those smaller bite-sized pieces. Why do we do that? Because then as we're accomplishing those smaller bite-sized pieces of the goal, every time that we do that, we're actually re-self-affirming. And through that re-self or for that self-affirmation, we are building our intrinsic motivation to keep going. And so through that intrinsic motivation, we avoid things like analysis paralysis because yeah. we we are motivated from the inside out. There's no looking from this external place for our goal, for us to accomplish our goals. It's all internally based. So that's my take on how to set these realistic goals. And I love it. It, it takes something that, that I say and, and kind of a theme of this podcast to, to a deeper level, which I really like, which is designing your business around the life that you want to live. So many people get into business. They may want a level of freedom. They may have goals, but they, they don't design the business to actually achieve that outcome. And because of that, they become shackled to it and they're spinning the wheels and they're working crazy hours and eventually burn out. But when you can name your values and your needs and then come up with the goals and design your business around those outcomes going to be a lot easier process a lot more clear Heck of a lot easier oh. Heck of a lot <laughs> easier. <laughs> i've never heard it said quite that way so that's great and it's a good segue because i want to dive a little bit backwards you said that you you've worked with a lot of high achievers from healthcare lawyers executives and i'm curious if there's common threads or challenges you see people face when it comes to finding that balance between their professional and and their personal lives and, and creating the freedom yeah. that ultimately yeah. they're, they're seeking. Yeah. And I think athletes and artists and all of all of that in between, it's it's kind of the same concept where there is this, this idea that I'm going to find the perfect balance. And yeah. so again, my take is a little bit different on it where it's giving yourself permission to allow it to ebb and flow. Um, where one day you might be leaning a little bit further into work and then the next day it maybe it's more professional. And it, it's funny, I said earlier when we were talking that my children were my best teachers. This actually came to me going from one to two children because you think to yourself, well, actually it's more like two from two to three children because one to two, you kind of do man to man with your spouse um, mm -hmm. or your partner uh, or for the most part. Um, but when you go from two to three, suddenly you, it's a, it's a, what do they call it? Zone defense. Um, okay. <laughs> but really what I learned in that process was you cannot balance the attention equally. There's yeah. never going to be a, you get 50% of my time and you get 50% of my time or a third, a third, a third. Really what it comes down to is one day a child is going to need more of your attention. And then the next day, another one is going to, but it all, if you give yourself the grace to let it ebb and flow, that can become your balance. And so when we're talking about professional and personal life balance, it's about giving yourself permission to let it ebb and flow without being so rigid. Because I think when we start to have these rigid rules is when we get stuck and we start to say, well, now I don't, you know, I, I, you know, like one day, for instance, maybe I do like I'm doing this right now. My daughter has field hockey. And so maybe one day I'm working later. It doesn't mean that I feel like my life is out of balance because another day during the week, I'm out at the field in the afternoon watching her play field hockey. And mm -hmm. so that's how you find it's like, it's different for each day. It doesn't have yeah. to be exactly the same every day. So how do you personally balance it? I mean, five, five kids, right? Yeah. Yeah. Five kids, <laughs> a husband, He's got his career, which you were a major part of. Now you have your own business. 
Do you have any like rules or, or systems to be able to make sure that, yeah, it's not always going to be equitable across the board, but that you, you have the time to give to your kids and, and to everything else. Yeah. I'm sure you do outside of work. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, I, as I said before, my hour in the morning, that's mine. Yeah. Uh, that's right. non-negotiable. First of all, I time block pretty much everything. So okay. I have, you know, my, when I'm working and then of course, when my free, when my personal time is, you know, when I'm on mom duty versus just hanging out, watching mindless TV, just yeah. decompressing, all of that is part of the time blocking. Um, and it's really important. And that's why I, I've utilized that um, in terms of just managing the day-to-day. Um, I also definitely with the to-dos, I recognize my to-do list is never going to be done. So I'm a mm -hmm. huge proponent of prioritizing with the, you know, you figure out what are the most urgent and important things and you work yeah. your way down from there. And it's never about looking at the to-do list at the end of the day and, and focusing on what didn't get done. I really push myself to look at what did get done and really just celebrate that uh, because that also builds just that idea of, um, you know, you're doing the best you can and that's really all we can do. Yeah, that's been a big one for me. A habit that I've recently got into is just keeping a done list at the end of the day because yeah. with, with the system I use, you you cross them off and they go away. And and so there's not that gratification at the end of the day to see, okay, yeah, I, I did a lot. I didn't get to everything, but I got those two most important things that I identified, which had to be done. And then look at these 12 other little things that I did. So, right. Right. With that, and to your, that, and to your, and to your wife's point, celebrate that, right? Celebrate, like, I exactly. I will yeah. absolutely celebrate when I got the laundry, when I get the laundry done, like everything yeah. counts. Yeah, <laughs> it's just a lot easier wins. to say, <laughs> okay, that's enough for today. Everything else yeah. can wait when you've got that yeah. visual representation. Exactly. Oh, yeah. Love it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So I have a choose your own adventure question for you. I teased this up at the beginning and the deal here is you can pick which one you'd like to answer or, or both if you so desire or, or blend them together. But number one is what is a favorite place that, that you visit in, in your life? It could be a trip with your family when you were younger, any time at all. Or what is a, a recent adventure that you went on? It could be far away, it could be in your own backyard. But in either case, what was it like? What made it so memorable? Maybe a favorite meal or drink you had, a lesson learned. Tell us a story. Yes. Uh, the most memorable trip actually was when the one and the one time, the one and only time that I actually visited India, uh, okay. I was in middle school. Um, my grandparents, my dad's parents actually lived there. So I had only seen them once before in my entire life because I didn't travel here. So it was a, it was an important trip because it was the, the last time that I actually saw this. I actually saw my grandfather alive. Um, but it was memorable because it was a huge culture shock. It was probably the first time you know, as a teenager, you, you're kind of selfish and sort of self-centered. Mm -hmm. It was the first time that I had the ability to see things and have an appreciation for what I did have within yeah. my own upbringing. And um, to this day, I can still close my eyes and remember moments of that trip. Um, and I also recall actually getting sick on that trip, like three days in, because again, totally different yeah. environment here gonna get sick inevitable. yeah <laughs> gonna get sick and uh just remembering how thoughtful and caring uh the extended family was I couldn't really communicate with a lot of them because I don't actually speak I don't speak fluent Hindi I just I, I can understand it better than I can speak it yeah. especially at that age um but there was this connection that happened just on that human level where you didn't need language 
No. Uh, and that was really, really impactful for me. And I think that has actually stuck with me throughout the years where that's, I mean, when I said before, I try to create this emotional safety, that is truly how I've kind of operated is, can I connect with this other human um, in just any which way? It doesn't have to be a specific rigid rule way, but it's just about that connection with the other person. So Yeah, oh, I love that. That's something that I've I've definitely experienced throughout my travels is just that power of of humanity and and shared experience and connection even if you can't speak the same language people know when you need help people yep. genuinely can can convey a lot with just a smile or or a wave or a, a high five or whatever it is and you can have a moment that's very special and no words need to be said there's an understanding through that shared experience exactly. so exactly. thank you for bringing really that powerful. forward it is <laughs> it's powerful and you know, everyone should travel because those experiences really can change your life and give you perspective and a lot of gratitude for, for what you have in, in your walk in life. So Absolutely. as we wrap things up for our listeners who are seeking to live an intentional life and really build a business that aligns with their desired lifestyle, what would you say to them? Do you have any piece of advice that you'd like to leave us with? Trust yourself. Trust yourself. <laughs> that's where it's at it's it is it is is about self-trust i was actually asked recently um what would you say to yourself uh your younger self when you're starting your business and my response was thank you for trusting trusting Mm. yourself that's cool great spot for us to end comedy where can we find and support you online website socials things like that where can everyone connect with you I am on the internet, comedywood.com or socially uh, Instagram and Facebook at It's Authentic Me. Awesome. Well, we'll drop links to everything in the show notes. And this has been awesome. Thank you so much for joining me. I know I've learned a lot. I've got some things to reflect on. So I know people listening will feel the same way. So thank Thank you for joining me. Thank you so much. Thank you. To all of our adventurous listeners, thank you for tuning in to today's episode. Please be sure to subscribe, download, and share this on social media or with someone you know will get some value from it. Leaving a review goes a long way in helping people find the show. And I personally appreciate reading them when they come in. So please go drop one if you have the time. We'll see you all next week. And remember, whether we're talking about business or the things that bring us joy outside of work, life is meant for exploring. So go out there and live it one adventure at a time.